Bienvenidos a La Raza Chronicles. Welcome to Crónicas de la Raza. On tonight's program, we will speak with activists in the Bay and get a report direct from Cuba celebrating U.S. renewing diplomatic relations with the island. We'll also continue to shine a light on state violence with an update on the case of Alex Nieto, who was killed by SFPD nine months ago. We'll also bring you a poem by Nina Serrano called Black Lives Matter. Also in this packed show, we will honor the holiday season and bring you a conversation between late Alameda Poet Laureate Mary Rudge with poet Mama Koa on the cross-cultural importance of the Virgin Mary. Today's program was produced by Nina Serrano, Vanessa Bohm, Vilma V, Jill Montgomery, and myself, Julieta Kosnid. We'll start off the program by first hearing from activist and coordinator of the International Committee for the Freedom of the Cuban Five, Alicia Krapko. My name is Alicia Krapko, and I am with the International Committee for the Freedom of the Cuban Five. Alicia, this is a very exciting time. This has really been a historic moment. Can you give our listeners a sense of about the statement that the National Committee just put out last week? Well, you know, we put a statement when when we find out that the Cuban Five were back, three of the Cuban Five that were still in prison, and we were so happy. I mean, I, I explained really in words because uh, something that we were waiting for such a long time and and unexpected, I will say, happened. Same thing, you know, was to express, you know, how we felt and also to to thank to all of those around the world and that have been in, working in this case. In fact, we were going to send this bulletin that we regularly send with the letter to President Obama asking to release the Cuban Five for the holidays. And we have gathered hundreds of wonderful signatures of people from all over the world so we we put it there too because we were about to send it out when we find out that that happened so people can see this is like the letter to President Obama with that we didn't need to send but you can see in the letter all the support that the Cuban Five had. It's been many years of organizing. How are people here celebrating? What are people's calls to action? Well, in Cuba, this has been tremendous. People just basically took the streets and celebrate, and people crying in the street. We have been in touch, actually, with one of the Cuban guys, Gerardo Hernandez, who was serving two life sentences in Victorville, and he told us that he can go anywhere because everywhere he goes, he, people just embrace him, cry with him, you know, like, He's overwhelmed by all the love that he feels right now. And this is just a way to show that they were really, truly heroes of the Cuban people. It's really pretty amazing what is going on there. And of course, you know, for all of us here, too, I mean, we were so happy to, to see the end of this long struggle, to see the victory. It was overwhelming, too. Our committee received calls from all over the world that they are phone didn't stop ringing and messages and interviews. We got a lot of calls from Cuba to talk to the media because they want to know how things are, are here, you know. And it, it was just kind of like a dream come true to see what happened. I mean, we, something that we were, you know, expecting or for a long time, but we didn't know when. And this is exactly what when happened. I think it's an historic day. December 17, 
I think that it's going to be many celebrations around the country because, you know, this is such a huge country. So there are people working in different states and cities. And so here in the Bay Area, we're going to have some a celebration on January 4th. We're going to have a celebration. Our group, our committee, is organizing another celebration in Washington, D.C. for uh, February 6th. So, you know, it's, it's going on all over the country. The movement in solidarity with Cuba has a huge boost with this news about the five being back. You all are dedicated to working in solidarity with Cuba. So what are next steps? What are you seeing as the immediate changes that are happening now with the Obama's call for restoring diplomatic relations with Cuba? Uh, you know, the changes are going to happen little by little. He's not going to leave the travel ban, but uh, it's going to be more possibilities to travel to Cuba under a general license. And also, uh, the State Department is revising the status of Cuba in the list of countries that sponsor terrorism to, to be removed. So those are good steps forward, but um, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not, not going to happen from one day to another. What are some future goals you all have? Well, I think we're going to continue working in solidarity with Cuba. You know, and the committee that we have formed with um, a very, very committed group of people, wonderful people that has been an amazing experience for me to work with them because, you know, little by little we were building this group uh, of people from all over the country and more people wanted to join us. And so we were talking about, you know, when something like this happened because we were focused on the Cuban Five, you know. Our committee has a name uh, for the Cuban Five, and that was our main focus. We were not working nothing else. So now all of the seven, we said, oh, what are we going to do now? So we had a conference call. Everybody agreed that we're going to continue working in solidarity with Cuba, especially because the case of the five were not just an isolated case. It was part of the policy, U.S. policy towards Cuba. I mean, they were in, in prison, really, because of they were Cubans from Cuba. So we are going to continue working because we think that there's a lot of things we need to do still, you know, in relation with Cuba. Uh, we are going to work towards the lifting of the blockade. It's a criminal blockade that has been in place for too long and need to be listed completely. But I think it's going to take time. It's going to take time for everything to, to get to the right place. Thank you, Alicia. How can people stay connected if they also want to work building solidarity with Cuba? How can people stay connected? Well, you know, we have a, a network. It's a national network on Cuba, which I'm one of the co-chairs. And that is another, you know, it's another uh, it's an umbrella group that, you know, have a lot of different groups that organize towards Cuba in many different issues, in, in the blockade, in the travel ban, in the medical school, etc. And that is the NNOC, the National Network on Cuba, NNOC.net. And, of course, people can go to our webpage. We still are in the webpage. Of course, we have to make a lot of changes and probably will change the name. Uh, but they can still go there, www.thecuban5.org, five with number five, uh, the Cuban 5 that or RG. They can uh, write to us. Uh, we have info at cubanfight.org if they wanted to be involved. Muchísimas gracias, Alicia, not just for this interview, but for the long-standing, incredible hard work that you and the Committee to Free the Cuban Five have put in for so many years now. Muchísimas gracias. Gracias, Alpati. I will say what I say to many people, that we never should lose hope.
uh, when we are struggling, we never should lose, uh, lose hope because uh, it's through struggle that things, uh, you know, be resolved. So we have to continue uh, fighting for justice. This is Cronicas de la Raza, La Raza Chronicles. I'm your host, Julieta Kuznir, and we are still off a high from some historic news on Thursday, December 17th. Obama came out and really made historic news that, that the U.S. will be reestablishing diplomatic relationships with Cuba. And we are very lucky to have on the line with us, all the way on the island, Imogene Tondre. Thank you so much, Imogene, for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Imogene, this is a very historic moment. So tell us a little bit about what has happened since the Cuban Five have been returned and what the energy has been and what the word on the street is around this important announcement. Well, first of all, I would say that people are really excited, for the most part, really shocked. You know, keep in mind that the majority of the Cuban population has lived with the blockade their entire life. So... Fidel at one point said that you could count on the blockade lasting for a thousand years. So, you know, I think people were were hopeful that something might change, but overall very shocked and excited. You know, the day that Obama and Raul made their simultaneous announcements, people on the street were telling each other and shouting out, you know, congratulations to one another, and, and people were really excited. I would say that in the national news, however, it's mostly been framed around the return of the Cuban Five. So they're considered national heroes, and there's been a huge campaign to get them back um, after being in prison for over 16 years. That's really kind of how it's being framed in the media. A lot of celebration around that. There was a concert on Saturday night, Silvio Rodriguez, and the Five were there, and they got up on stage and sang. And, you know, the crowd was very emotional. It's, it's really touching to see these men who are considered heroes back reunite with their families. And, of course, there's still talk about restoring relations and how exciting that is, but it's kind of hesitant. Right now, actually, on the news, President Raul is, is making a speech. It's the, the closing speech for the uh, legislation for the parliament, and he's speaking a lot about what's going on nationally. He's talking about the economy and the GDP and the rising self-employed sectors here in Cuba, and also speaking about our regional ties. So there was just the fifth summit of CARICOM, which is a, a regional block here in the Caribbean. So, you know, again, the, the news is centered on, on what's going on nationally and regionally, and not as much emphasis on this announcement, although it is very exciting. When you hear people talk about the possibility of the blockade being lifted, it, it will be to have to be debated in Congress. It's not by any means uh, happening immediately in the immediate f- future. And when you hear people talking about the possibility of the restrictions being uh, lessened in terms of U.S. travel to Cuba, what are people's reactions in general? People are excited to meet more American people and to have a boost in the tourist economy. And that's what it comes down to, is bringing dollars to the island. And and I think that, you know, people are interested in, in that. People who work in the tourist, in the tourism sector are expecting that it'll be, it'll be really significant. Other than that, I think that people are hesitant, again, like I said, to see what's really going to happen. When people talk about the change, I think it's important to recognize that he has been in a process of change for the last several years. There have been 
a lot of new laws passed and the, the continuous implementation of what are called the new guidelines, which were established at the 6th Congress of the Communist Party in April of 2011. So there's been a whole process of change. It's not, it's not going to happen with Obama's announcement. It's not going to happen starting when more Americans can come here. Cuba's already been in the process of change. And I think really people are excited to, to have relations with a neighbor. I mean, there's a lot of affinity between the U.S. and Cuba, despite the blockade of over 50 years. Cubans and Americans are genuinely interested in one another and in their cultures. So I think there's excitement about that in terms of what's going to happen politically. That's yet to be seen. I think people's concern here is not so much whether... Americans are allowed to travel to Cuba or not, because as it is, a lot of Americans come here either through a third country or with a people-to-people licensed group. So I think I think the average Cuban has had plenty of exposure to an American tourist. There's a lot of college exchange programs, you know, American University, Sarah Lawrence, there's a bunch of them. So that's not as new as the idea that diplomatic relations will be restored. And I think that that is the most important part. And, of course, that doesn't mean that the economic blockade has been has been eliminated. So I think, you know, again, people are just excited at the idea of what the change could bring. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles. We've been very lucky to have on the line with us Imogene Tandre. She's speaking to us directly from the island. She's speaking to us from Cuba. Thank you so much, Imogene, for taking time out to give us your firsthand account on this historic moment. Thank you, Julieta. You're listening to Crónicas de la Raza, La Raza Chronicles. I'm Julieta Cusnid, and we want to get a breaking update on the case of Alex Nieto by Adriana Camarena. She has been working to raise attention and to work for justice on the case of Alex Nieto. Just a couple days ago, Sunday, there was a beautiful action and procession that happened throughout the mission leading up to Bernal, Bernal Hill, where Alex Nieto was killed by the police. Adriana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. So Adriana, for people who aren't familiar with Alex Nieto, his story and his case, can you tell people what happened nine months ago? Alex Nieto was killed on Bernal Heights Park on March 21st, 2014. It was sunset time, and he was dressed for work. He was a security guard at El Toro nightclub, and as he often did, he just he lived on Bernal Heights, lived on Bernal Heights all his life. He grabbed a burrito and some chips and just climbed a few blocks away from Cortland over to a bench overlooking the city and with a beautiful view to Twin Peaks. And so Alex was just eating a meal before going off to work, but he was dressed as in his security guard uniform, which meant he was wearing his taser at his hip. A dog walker saw him. It didn't like who Alex looked like, and he called 911. We still don't have the original 911 call, but from what police have mentioned at the town hall meeting, and from what you can hear on a dispatch audio that we do have, this person described Alex as a... Latino male, you know, tall, 200 pounds, with a, a red jacket and a gun at his hip. That call was placed at 7.11 p.m. By 7.18 p.m., Alex was dead. That's when the shots were heard to be fired by the same caller. But in the middle of that, like four minutes into the call, the same caller described Alex as simply eating. 
And we have no reports of Alex actually presenting a threat at any moment. So the way the police approached him was as a threat, even though no threat was reported. All that was reported as a threat was this person's own fear. And so in that moment, and there's even a count from another, uh, from that same dispatch recording between um, the police encountering Alex and killing him, it was 25 seconds. Then the other thing that's kind of important to note is that Alex was killed in two volley of shots. By the same admission of the police, he, on encountering him, they shot him first a couple of times, and he went down on the ground. Uh, there's an audio recording from a home video camera, and you hear about a six-second pause, and then there's a volley of like 11 more shots. So in total, his body shows 15 bullet wounds, independent bullet wounds. So it's not that he was, as the police like to say, shot at least 10 times. He was shot at at least 15 times. And that's what we know about Alex's case in terms of facts that we have. And then we just have a difference of uh, versions between what the police say happened and what eyewitnesses say happened that the family lawyers have now put forth in their lawsuit, as a federal civil lawsuit. And Adriana, it was nine months since Alex Nieto was murdered and shot down by San Francisco police. I know that there's been very little um, information and very little movement. Can you tell us about what happened yesterday? It was a critical advance. Yesterday, Monday, there was a hearing. And, you know, just to kind of put things in context, the Sunday before, on the 21st, that was Alex's ninth month anniversary. So on Sunday... We were celebrating Alex's ninth month anniversary, and we had uh, named the event the longest and darkest night of the year because it was winter solstice the same day and, and night. And so we were really hoping to have more light shed on his case and more lightness in general for all these families that have lost you no know, loved ones to police violence. And then the next day, there was a hearing at 9.30 a.m., at the federal courthouse here in San Francisco to again discuss whether the city could continue to keep the names of the officers confidential in the case of Alex Nieto. So nine months had gone by, and we still didn't have the names of the officers involved. We learned in the process that there were four officers who shot at Alex and that there were other officers present at the hill the moment he was shot, we now know that there were two others actually present who witnessed the shooting. And so on Monday, the judge considered the both, you know, heard parties again. The city had insisted that there was a threat to police officers. But we had already come to know through an interview that Greg Spur did on 1010 AM, Echo in California, a bilingual radio, and he said this in English, that the threat consisted in someone making a threat on social media, apparently Facebook, uh, shortly after Alex died, and that this person was known to the police and this person was known to live outside the country. So that was the reason why they had been withholding the names of the officers who killed Alex for nine months. And it's actually a policy in San Francisco to release the names of all the officers involved in shootings. But still, despite that, they used this excuse. So, the, you know, the judge heard both sides, and very importantly, the lawyer of the family was able to argue that it was impossible. Like, in the interest of justice, he needed to have those names because he can't even do an independent investigation. 
without being able to ask questions, uh, and, and eventually these names are going to be known. So in the interest of justice, to make it a fair trial, the judge told the city that they had until January 5th, and at, at that time, the loss is going to be amended to include the names of all the officers who are being made responsible specifically for the death of Alex and all the other uh, wrongdoings that may be associated with even handling the homicide scene or how things were handled in general. So people will have more information January 5th. Can you quickly tell us how can people stay up on news on uh, the case, on Alex Nieto's case, in terms of the fight for justice to, and accountability for the police violence? And can you also let folks know if there's any way people can donate to support Alex Nieto's family? Yes, thank you. So uh, uh, please visit our website. It's justiceforalexnieto.org, and that's number four, justice number four, alexnieto.org. And we uh, do our best to be very transparent and share the information that we get with the public. So you'll find on our website everything from the autopsy report, from the police version of events to what we know from the lawsuits version of events. And as we know more, we'll let you know more. And we post about actions. There's also a Facebook page that you can uh, find through the website. And by, as far as the donations go, I think it's important for people to understand that victims of police brutality are not considered victims of a crime. And so what ends up happening is that the families, which are generally low-income uh, minority families, have to put the bill on everything. We're asking for don- donations for the Nieto family. There's now a memorial fund that has been set up. And you can also find the link to that and the information on the Memorial Fund at Wells Fargo on our website. Thank you, Adriana. So tell folks again the website information. www.justiceforalexnieto.org. And that's number four, justiceforalexnieto.org. That's the voice of Adriana Camarena. She's been working closely with many others to the fight for justice for Alex Nieto, along with many other families that have come forward to get accountability around the police violence that their families have experienced. Muchísimas gracias. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much and happy holidays. Why we can't breathe. The demands and voices of protest are raised across America. Voices of men and women, of children even. Voices of rage. Voices of hope. Voices of deep mass discontent. These voices, as anguished as they are insistent, are voices of a generation that has been largely silent in the public square. Only through their poets and rappers have their voices been heard. But even then, commercial interest intruded, changing righteous rage into clever rhymes. Art, not imitating life, but sending it down a street it had not intended. Now, an awful truth emerges. Out of the sweet mouths of the youth, we can't breathe, they shout. The we is instructive, for it reveals the collective consciousness emerging. We can't breathe. Why not? Because in the richest country on earth, poverty pitches pennies on the street corner, hoping against hope to hit. Because a simple education is beyond the ability of the neoliberal state to provide. Because today's school is tomorrow's prison and a place where hatred and humiliation lives, not knowledge, not education, under the ridiculous rubric of no child left behind. Because for too many children, childhood is but an illusion, as it was for Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old boy, 
doing what boys have been doing for over a century, playing with a toy gun, becomes a death sentence. Because every hand and every face is turned against them, as futures are as bleak as lunar landscapes. We can't breathe, they howl, but we can't hear them. The neoliberal state is too busy choking them to death. From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. The following is a poem by Nina Serrano, titled Black Lives Matter, accompanied by Charlie Girk on saxophone. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. It's ridiculous to have to state it. It's so obvious because all life matters and is sacred. But it becomes necessary when every morning on Facebook another video of police taking a black life, hands held up in surrender, handcuffed behind the back, or a pregnant body thrown on the ground and beaten. Black Lives Matter. In Oakland, we know. Four nights of protest marches, rain or dry, of huge police presence on the street and droning helicopters above. In Oakland, we know Black Lives Matter. Traffic slowed, freeway blocked, city life disrupted to underline and pronounce to the nation that black lives matter. host, Nina Serrano. Today's program is called Ave Maria, an exploration in poetry, thought, and song on the Virgin Mary, her impact on our cultures and thinking. Leading the way are two exciting guests, both feminists, poets, and walkers along a deep, strong spiritual path. Mary Rudge, poet laureate of Alameda, and Mama Koak, poet musician and healer. The last time these women were together was November 25th on the steps of San Francisco City Hall to observe the UN-mandated day for the elimination of violence towards women and girls. We begin by greeting our guests. Welcome, Mary Rudge. Hi, Nina. I'm so happy to be here. It's wonderful that you could be here. Mary, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, the background your thoughts and poetry emerge from? Well, I almost jumped off the bus on the way when I saw 
my Native American sisters sitting in front of the by the sidewalk in front of the archaeology building. Uh, they're doing a four-day vigil for the bones of their ancestors to be returned. And I grew up among the Native American tribes in Oklahoma, and I, I deeply unify with their feeling that um, there is no death, only a change of life, and that we are all connected, interconnected with nature with our, our, our spirituality is to be achieved through the way we treat all creatures. And something about the growing up years and the adult life? Well, I never thought I would grow up. <laughs> I thought I was going to be beaten up before I, and, and die before I grew, so I've always sided with the underdog. Um, I think that in the areas where I lived, it was sort of a harsh life. Uh, animals were beaten and children were beaten. And um, also, everywhere I've traveled, I've been on five continents, and I've heard the stories of women who have whose child has been abducted or uh, they have been treated with violence. And so my heart goes out to women all over the world. I never thought I'd have five daughters and two sons and <laughs> come to this point. That you raised as a single mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very thankful to have these children. Actually, I I think I was sort of into self-survival, and I don't think I would have had children at all if I hadn't. Well, I became Catholic, and uh, since this is an Ava Maria show, I will say that um, the fact that that belief that God spoke to a little girl, a little single girl who was very vulnerable and said, uh, look, I want your permission to come to earth and um, bring an example of how to live among you and I. I'm, I'm doing this with your, your permission. And that's such great honor to not only the act of birth on this earth, but to, to the fact that Woman is the one that uh, that brought forth this this example on earth. So no matter what culture, I think in all of our through all the years and all the cultures, people have looked to a woman um, mentor, a woman uh, leader, whether it was a goddess or whether it was a, a sister or a friend. They've they've depended on on another woman to be an example for them. And did this at all affect your uh, following the path of peace? I know you've been crowned princess of poetry and peace. Well, I did receive a crown from Peru on uh, as a queen of peace poetry. And actually, the way that I've been able to go around the world was by invitation to speak on peace education. And all countries are very hungry for Oh, oh, the semantics of peace, a peace culture, a way to, to turn things around through the word. If the whole world was created through by a word, you know, if it was spoken into being, uh, certainly we could speak into being peace in our cultures and families. We have to work on the word. <laughs> well, I know you've brought some poems with you, and I wonder if you could share them. I'd like to read the poem that I wrote uh, for our, our gathering uh, for the Human Rights Declaration on the subject of um, 
uh, against violence against women. It's a song for women. Women of every nation, women of every tribe, used as spoils of war, abused, with no recourse, women with needs denied, with childhood stolen away, chosen for soil and plunder, with bodies ripped asunder, without words to say, to tell the horror. You are my sister. Sister, I think of you always. I never forget you. Be powerful in my love. Find healing in my love. Live forever in my love. Women who work for justice, women stand side by side, women of every tribe and nation. With the same story, truth is your weapon and song. Women who's found the music and the words who will be heard, leading yourselves to glory, telling of lies fulfilled now and tomorrow. I think of you always. I never forget you. Be powerful in your love. Find healing in your love. Live forever through your love. You are my sister. Sister, I think of you always. I never forget you. Be powerful in my love. Find healing in my love. Live forever in my love. I'd like to also say that the other poem that I'm going to read, uh, it, it, it did come out of my visits to many cultures where where girls are not wanted. Uh, the boy is prefer- the preferred um, child to give birth to, and actually in this country, 80% of the abortions are gender-oriented. It's the girls who are ab- aborted. So in this poem, I call on all the holy women, even the dead who are saints, to help turn thoughts and hearts around in India, America, China, and all the places wherever needed so that girls can live. So uh, this is uh, calling on the great saints Catherine, Catherine, and Teresa. And it says, Catherine, Catherine, and Teresa enter China. But of course, they should come to my neighborhood too. (laughs) All spirits now and still available, look now at women. You travel in good company, Catherine, yes, through Italy, Siena, upward, eye to eye with men, Establisher of justice, rebuker of sin, like Teresa, conscience, conscience, conscious of country, who went traversing Spain from Avila outward on muleback, insides wrenched by road ruts and rocks, every hoof trap clocked to God's time, rocked in spine and bones by shock pains, miles to go. There are no boundaries, Catherine, Catherine Teresa. That Catherine in Alexandria, whirling through sky like the fiery object Ezekiel saw, say it, pray it, the circular rosary of mystery, sorrowful, glorious, mystical experiences. What is prayer but generator of, for action, the wheel whirling rack? I'm an alien, a spaceship, circular as a saucer, flaming as a meteor, turning from within, Over a land my mind sets spinning, the wheels going round in my brain, neurons in cartwheels throughout my body, in excitement, in fiery wonder, in centrifugal force of the holy. Catherine of Siena, Catherine of Alexandra, Teresa of Avila, it's woman's work, founding those holy communities where the cloister dance to tambourines and understand the circular journey, burning bush to flaming wheel to fiery zeal, traveling onward, Cross now into China, 
There is need for you, woman's work, saints, still available, soul changers, you with burning breast, reap. No time to weep and gather the souls of baby girls out of the rivers, up off the dying ground, out from under the smothering cloths. And the ones next born turn around a country, help them live. Thank you. That was Mary Rudge reading her own poems. Beautiful, Mary. Do you have some others you might share with us? Well, you know, I have one that calls on the women, holy women by all of her names, and it's called Message for Half the World, Her Feminine Essence. Her feminine essence is alchemy that changes destiny, appeasing the elements. Throw her to sea, to oceans, lakes, rivers, volcanoes. Sacrifice her in water and fire through history. Before Troy, until now, she has been booty, trade value, bargaining point. Give up a kingdom for her. Seize her to merge territories. Marry, possess her. Mark her for handmaiden, slave, for service, for passion, for demonstration of power. To overpower her, turn yourself into a bull, a swan, a shower of gold. She changes the pattern of continents, the shape of societies, the structure of nature, her feminine essence, this alchemy. She ate six seeds and began the seasons. She opened a box and released despair and hope. She chose a fruit that started a dialogue with God. Her name, feminine, has been given to attitudes, attributes, emotions, moods, and her many names have been Lilith, Eve, Mary, Isis, Sekhmet, Deva, Great Mother Gaia, Demeter, Korah, and more, Ceres, Corn Woman, Cycladic Goddess, Sleeping Lady, Homea, Pele, Hayaka, Terra, Kali, Kwan Yin, Matsu, Star, the Sea, Astarte, Nimba, Anana, Shekana, Juno, Athena, Venus, Aphrodite, Navajo, Changing Woman, Apache, Painted Woman, Spider Woman, Life Weaver, more and more, Thought Woman, more and more, you have always discussed her. Never discovered her fully. She is still under discussion. She is still creating herself. That was Mary Rudge reading her poem and. I hope she will have one more for us. Well, actually, no, I didn't have another one, but I I would really like to talk about culture just a little bit uh, because, you know, uh, Gandhi said that one way to not have war anymore is that if you take the child of the enemy that your country or you have slain and you raise that child, that fatherless child or motherless child in its own culture, in the culture of its mother and father, then war will stop because we will come to some great understanding of each other. And also, um, just this morning before I came, a friend of mine who goes by the name of Jack London George, he has a Jack London Club in Oakland, called and reminded me that um, Jack London used to walk into a bar anywhere and say, oh, what's the debate? I'll take any side. <laughs> and and um, that's, uh, that's what we really need to do is to look at each other's culture, each other's belief system, each other's life, each other's spiritual journey, and um, try to, you know, try to embrace and, and uh, be an advocate for each other. And um, this is the way that we start a peace culture, I believe. I know you've done a lot of work on Jack London. Well, right. I was writing a series for the Oakland Post, Berkeley Post, San Francisco Post. Right now it's on um, hold because 
the political situation is so newsworthy, so, you know, needs all the space, and we need to focus on this great thing that's happened for our um, for the world, actually, through who uh, America's diversity of culture. So it will start up again. My series will start up again. Hopefully it will be a book, and um, you'll, you'll get the first copy. <laughs> oh, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> I've always appreciated your encouragement, Nina, and, and uh, I, I really love the work of, of our other guests here, who, whom I, I really dearly love to hear her at readings. And Well, it'll be a pleasure to bring her right onto the microphone. Welcome, Mama Coat. Nina, how are you? Very, very well. Uh, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and the development of your art and your thought, and maybe begin by telling us about your very interesting name, Mama Coatl. Mm-hmm. Mama Coatl is a name, uh, well, the mama everybody can understand, right? And Coatl is a Nahuatl word that means cosmic twin. So in essence, uh, this name is a metaphor for for feminine essence evolution and uh, the reflection of each other, you know, of it, in each woman that I encounter. It's a name that was given to me by healers deep in Mexico in a magical mountain and uh, something that happened in a very unsuspected way because um, I've always said that I'm a desperate woman and I'm looking desperately for the answers that to the questions that burn my heart, you know? And these questions have to do with the value placed on life and the value placed on womanhood and um, what we come to learn as women in the 20th century, yeah? Now that we receive the new century, the new people, the new thoughts, we are the ones who are transforming with it, making the appropriate bridges between what what used to be true and what the new truth is, you know? And I'm very honored to be here sharing this space with uh, both of you because you are teachers and women of wisdom. The the people who carry that quiet wisdom that always nourishes in spite of the, the grandiosity of heroism. No, that's, that's what you represent to me, and I'm very, very happy to share these words with you. Well, thank you so much. I wonder if you could... Um, translate for us one of your songs that we're going to be playing in a moment, and if you could tell us in English what those words are. It is um, one of those things that you put together like uh, like um, a guiso, like a meal, no? We, put, we found a choir, and we put it together with a music box, and we put it together with rhythms that are... Um, very close to the heart when the heart is unloading uh, heaviness, no? And we created this mix, this sound in which uh, the beaten woman is in the church. The woman or the virgin, um, the woman of the church representing the women or representing the earth. And if the condition of womanhood is violence, if you can see the average Mexican woman, I represent the Mexican people as my my origin. Uh, if you can if you can Google Mexican woman, the first thing you will see in your Google image is a beaten up woman, a woman with a black eye. So this was a lot of, um, represented to me a lot of provocation. How am I going to disarticulate 
this topic and put it back together in a way that makes sense to me that will quench this thing that I feel in my heart. So this is a description of the woman. It says, I am your mother, archetypically masochist. She says, I have swallowed the pornographic lie. I was born a victim and I doubt my inner value very much. And yet, I am your mother, constantly vilified, ontologically reduced, and desecrated by poetry, by theology, by philosophy. And yet, I am your mother, and capable of lifting about domination, oppressor by derivation. And yet, I am your mother. And she goes on to say, forgive me, forgive me please, for all the self-disgust, for the need to be punished, because I have birthed and raised you, radically passive, deprived of your right to participate in the evolution of human thought. Yes, I am your holy mother. Forgive me, it says, forgive me incessantly until you feel strong enough to forgive yourself. So this song to me represents the... Uh, exposition of the violence from a very deep root so that we may be able to see it without flinching, yes? It's not that we have always been holy and we have been the receivers of one end. We have participated in our own oppression and it is time to wake up to that, to see it, to smell it, to really experience it and forgive it so that we may be able to wake up to a new creation. Ontológicamente reducida oh, oh, oh. 
madre Desecrada por la teología Por la psicología Por la poesía Y así Soy tu madre Perdóname Por el dolor Por el asco Por la necesidad de castigo Porque te parí radicalmente pasiva Privada de tu participación en la evolución de la vida Yo Yo que soy Tu madre just heard Mama Coat singing her original song from her album, Border Crossing Diosa. That is so beautiful. It just really touched my heart, and it also makes me cry for the victims. And for the time that I, too, was a victim, and I only know how to counter that, I guess, with the lines from my poem, you know, women who work for justice, women stand side by side. Women of every tribe and nation with the same story. Truth is your weapon and song. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias, Mary. Yo, uh, with this song, I am hoping that when the mother says, forgive me for all this pain, then, then the children and the victimizers will say, mother, forgive us. Forgive us. When that happens, then we can receive the gift of transformation, yes. And this is the hope of this song and the work that, that I'm doing with poetry and the great company of you, mis comadres. Gracias, Nina. De nada. It's been a pleasure to have you both here. This has been Nina Serrano, and we hope you enjoyed this program. We certainly enjoyed creating it. I want to thank Mary Rudge and Mama Coat for sharing their thoughts and art and to Amelia Gonzalez for engineering and editing. Wishing you all the best as we enter the winter's darkness and pleasures, another chance to explore your soul. Me anocheció en un pueblito mexicano, lejísimos de la borrasca familiar, de los líos con la migra, los viles, los incontaxes, la conspiración para sacarnos del barrio, para borrarnos del mapa. Me largué amamantando y buscando paraísos, fui a dar a la arracada mis 
fantasma del matricidio Mi corazón ardiendo en el boquete de la guerra Se vio de cerca con el pecado original Pero salí huyendo de nuevo Perpetua fugitiva del gran enfrentamiento y reincidí en el vicio de cruzar burlando fumándome los ojillos malignos de la policía del mundo envuelta en mi cuerpo de iguana mi cara de pandillera se detiene, solo camina con dolor permanente la muerte mata y mata nunca le basta, ataca y ataca quien pasa por su caminar, sin importar la forma de pensar, arrasa con todo, dispara su rojo y apunta en el ojo, en nombre del oro, en nombre de banderas y de fronteras, en nombre de absurdos se llama guerra, se llama tontera, en nombre de la paz vaya locura de que somos capaz, hijos, niños familias, gritos, balas bombas, conflictos, malditos, con ira con rabia, con tanto, con tanta impotencia, tus manos manchadas, cuántos hermanos tendrás que matar la tierra que llora se va a desangrar que llegue la vida como un vendaval que brote la vida que brille con fuerza que irradie su luz en toda su esencia
se arrasen patriarcas y jefes o presidentes, patronas y amos o terratenientes en nombre de Dios, de seguridad, en nombre de calma y de tranquilidad, de cruces, de dogmas, de imperios, coronas, de credos, petróleo, todo lo devoran, son terroristas de estado, criminales sueltos por todos lados, ahogan la vida desde su oficina, mandando sus tropas a la muerte fija, culpables de hacer la tierra sangrar, culpables de comunidades matar, culpables, culpables de niños llorar, culpables de la vida sepultar. ¿Cuántos hermanos tendrás que matar? ¿Cuántas naciones tendrás que ocupar? La tierra que llora se va a desangrar por tu poder que no puedes saciar. Que llegue la vida como un vendaval para sembrar flores que quieran cortar. Que brote la vida que brille con fuerza, que irradie su luz en toda su esencia. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles Crónicas de la Raza on KPFA. If you'd like to hear this program again, check out La Raza Chronicles at soundcloud.com. Make sure to also like us on Facebook to receive updates about news, arts, and culture in the Latino community. Stay tuned next Tuesday at 7 p.m. for a special New Year's program. La Raza Chronicles wishes our listeners a very Merry Christmas. Feliz fiestas. Hasta la próxima. Buenas noches.